Listener Production. Hello, welcome to the briefing on this special day. It's the opening ceremony of the Tokyo Olympics. It's July 23. It's a Friday. Jan Fran is joining me. Jan, maybe this is the little circuit breaker for lockdown life we need at a big global television event. You know, we've run out of everything on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm I'm just glad that it got to this. There were just so many questions around whether or not this would happen. And here we are. And part of me is really happy that it's going ahead. And part of me is just slightly nervous to see so many people gathering in a public space. But you know what? I'm tuning in. So <laughs> it's probably going to be a good show. The Japanese know how to put on a good show. So let's see what happens. Yeah, well, we're going to speak to um, two Australian athletes who are going for glory in Tokyo on today's briefing. I'm not a big crier, but I had this feeling that if we win gold, I'll probably just sit on the field and cry because it's just been such a long journey and such a big deal for so long to finally succeed would just be one of the most incredible things I imagine I would ever experience. So that's Renee Taylor from the Hockey Roos. Um, pretty powerful stuff there. Be just amazing to see them get up. We're also going to speak to Natalia Diem. She's repping Australia in a brand new Olympic sport, freestyle BMX. She'll tell us how the inclusion of this freestyle event in the Olympics completely changed the course of her life. I'm 18 years old. I've had four knee surgeries. I'm, I'm going to give it up. So I was riding as a hobby, still working full time. And then the Olympics came about and I was like, oh, you know, if it's going to be any time, it's going to be now. So I really just pushed hard and I'm so grateful to have made it. Yeah, the spirit of the Olympics cheering us up here in Australia. Uh, the hopes and dreams of the Aussies will be on show. I'm looking forward to seeing the swimmers get off the blocks as well. First, here are the big headlines of today. Well, from aspiration in Tokyo to reality back home in <laughs> Australia and state and federal leaders are urging young people to consider getting the AstraZeneca vaccine as they battle to bring COVID clusters around the country under control. Well, right now they can get vaccinated right now on AstraZeneca. The AstraZeneca vaccine is um, approved uh, by the TGA, the Therapeutic Use Administration, uh, to be available to people of ages of 18 and above. So that's the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, speaking on Triple J's hack program yesterday, um, my old mate, so it's good to see him speaking to a young audience. That came after his apology. So the day before, he wasn't apologising and then yesterday he said that he was certainly sorry. I'm certainly sorry that we haven't been able to achieve the marks that we had hoped for at the beginning of this year. Jan, what do you make of that apology? Certainly sorry is a strange way to mm. just say sorry. I think Scott Morrison is in a difficult position because he's got to do two conflicting things. One is give a mea culpa and say sorry and take accountability, which he sort of has been doing. But the other is actually reassure the Australian people that he's got this, that we're on track. You know, we've only got 12% of our population vaccinated. There is still a way to go. And he can't have the people lose faith in him. Mm. Um, so part of me thinks that he's in a bit of a difficult position. Another part of me thinks he probably could have gone a bit harder on the apology. Well, I think it was a bit of a a carefully worded apology. You know, he was certainly sorry that they hadn't achieved the marks that they'd hoped for at the beginning of the year. So what that carefully does, it avoids the Pfizer question. It avoids the fact that he failed to get more Pfizer doses. He's, he's apologising for what they've done since that mistake, not apologising for that mistake. And I think that's the biggest mistake they've made. 
And Pfizer is a massive question for the government. Um, the state of New South Wales has been saying that they simply don't have enough Pfizer vaccinations and that they've actually got a surplus at this point of AstraZeneca vaccines. And if that's something that we start seeing around the country, we're going to end up just being a country that has all of these vaccines that end up going in the bin and lagging behind uh, the international community on our vaccine rollout. So I'm not surprised there that he really wanted to avoid that Pfizer question because it is one that will continue to plague him, I think. Yeah, so Gladys Berejiklian in New South Wales has joined him in encouraging um, young people to talk to their GP about getting AstraZeneca. Um, Atagi did alter its advice to some extent. Um, they said that people under 60 living in an outbreak area who can't get Pfizer should reassess the benefits of being vaccinated with AstraZeneca. I think the PM wants them to go further because their advice still says that Pfizer is the preferred vaccine for under 60s. And I think that's the bit he wants them to change. Obviously, Jan, you had that awkward experience with wanting to go and get AstraZeneca and the GP saying no, and you decided just to step back from the whole thing. What's it like to hear this debate continue on and hear the Prime Minister out this week? It's so incredibly frustrating because I think that there's a lot of young people that just want to get vaccinated as soon as possible. And what we really want to know is that we can do it as soon as we decide that we want to do it. And that's just not the case. And you know, ever since I sort of talked about my story or situation publicly, I've had so many people get in touch with me with very similar stories of wanting to get vaccinated, getting mixed messages, not just from the government, not just from a target, but from their own GPs as well, and thinking, all right, stuff it. I'm just going to hold out for Pfizer until someone tells me what to do. Queensland's shut the border uh, with the whole of New South Wales now as COVID cases continue to rise in the state. The border was officially sealed off early this morning. will stay closed for a month. Uh, with returning Queenslanders having to go into hotel quarantine. Yeah, New South Wales, it's recorded a very, well, a comparatively high number of cases yesterday, 124 new infections that were added to the tally of the Sydney outbreak. Um, the concerning number here, again, is 87 of them were infectious for some or all of the time in the community. Given that number of infectious in the community, I'm expecting case numbers to go up even higher. It's really, really important to continue those high rates of testing. Yeah, yesterday was another grim day. I mean, it's great to celebrate the testing, 85,000, which is huge, but uh, those, those case numbers are really concerning. Yeah, maybe we do need an opening ceremony tonight, Tom. I think I might <laughs> be coming around to that. Give me some respite here, people. Yes, please. China's rejected plans by the World Health Organisation to launch another investigation into the origins of COVID-19. And of course, this would look further into the lab leak theory. Yeah, so the WHO this month, they proposed a second phase of studies into the origins of the virus in China. And this second phase includes audits of laboratories and markets in Wuhan. Now, Chinese officials told reporters that they were taken aback a little bit by the proposal because it included this suggestion that maybe poor lab management might have led to the virus getting into the community. And they said that that idea, well, they basically kiboshed it, saying that it defied common sense and science. And the Australian Olympic Committee boss, John Coates, has defended his exchange with the Queensland Premier, Anastasia Palaszczuk, where he told her she would be going to the opening ceremony. You are going to the opening ceremony. No, none of you are staying behind and hiding in your rooms, all right? I must say, this 
This did seem a bit jarring to watch. That was John mm. Coates there. He was speaking to the Premier following the announcement that Brisbane would host the 2032 Games. It was a press conference. They were sort of on stage behind tables sitting next to each other, speaking to the room and obviously to television cameras. And it seemed like a bit of an intense exchange, didn't it? It, it felt like he was sort of yelling at the Premier and, and she sort of just sat there and it's hard to tell what she looked like behind her mask, mm. but she did seem slightly taken aback. It did seem awkward. It seemed like he was sort of making a joke and sort of bossing her around, basically. Um, she said it's all fine. The interesting thing about it is it's provided her a real circuit breaker because she was in a really hard place. She was copying it back home for even going to Tokyo um, and then also going to the opening ceremony. But if she'd been awarded the Games by the International Olympic Committee and then got straight on a plane and gone home and not gone to the opening ceremony, as John Coates awkwardly kind of explained, that would have been a real mm. slap in the face for the Olympic community. So now she can go to the opening ceremony. Um, John Coates becomes the sort of um, in the firing line for the way he handled it, but it, it solves a big problem for her. Are you suggesting that this might be a genius stunt that was concocted by our <laughs> Brisbane delegation, Tom? Well, they both came out smiling, Palaszczuk and Coates. Like, she genuinely seemed they like did. she didn't care, as, as awkward as it looked in the moment. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Coates has released a statement saying that he's been, you know, completely misinterpreted, mm. that nobody was vibing the feeling in the room and that he's got a pretty good relationship with the Premier and the Premier's come out and, and said the exact same thing. Speaking of the Olympics, there was a big win with the Oli Roos beating Argentina 2-0 um, in the men's soccer, which is huge. It's just the fifth time um, we've won a football match at the Olympics uh, and it's boosted our hopes for the clash against Spain on Saturday night. Next, the swimming gets underway, which will be super exciting. And, um, of course, the opening ceremony, Jan, apparently the drone technology is going to be amazing. I, I back the Japanese to do a pretty amazing opening ceremony. Mm, me too. All right, Jan, we'll catch you uh, next week. In a moment, we'll speak to those two incredible Australian Olympic athletes. Well, so far, a lot of the discussion around the Olympics has been on the COVID fears. But as events start to kick off after tonight's opening ceremony, a lot of the focus will turn to the sporting contest, which is really what it's all about. And before they got on their plane, I spoke to two really interesting Australian athletes, um, two medal hopefuls, I dare say. One of them is in a new sport, uh, freestyle BMX. You'll meet Natalia Deem in just a moment. The other is from a classic Olympic sport, hockey. Now, the Hockey Roos, the female team, have a strong record. They've won three Olympic golds before, but not since Sydney 2000. So they're hoping to uh, get on the podium this time around. Renee Taylor is a midfielder in the Hockey Roos. Renee, thanks for joining us. This is your first Olympics. It's the one-year delayed, COVID-safe, hopefully, Olympics. Probably one of the most unusual in history. How do you feel about being part of that? Yeah, it is my first Olympics. There's no spectators. Everyone's kind of in their own little bubbles inside the Olympic Village bubble. So um, I think it's going to be very different to what we're expecting. And I think that potentially might be good for someone like me going in, not having all that outside distraction um, and just being able to go in and go, yep, I'm in the village, but I'm in my bubble and I'm here to play hockey. So it hopefully will be a good thing. Yeah, because I imagine part of the appeal of getting to the Olympics to, you know, reach that peak in your chosen sport would be about the whole experience, the competition, but also that human experience of attending such an incredibly beautiful global 
event. But then on the other hand, it's it's a lot about performance, right? So that could be a good thing. Yeah, exactly. So obviously going to an Olympics, you have people like Roger Federer, um, Usain Bolt, who's now retired, but you have those sorts of high-profile athletes that as hockey players, we're not as high profile. So obviously don't get to experience um, being alongside those types of athletes as often. Um, however, yeah, we are there to win a gold medal. And I think everyone goes into it, goes, we're not going to get distracted by everything that's happening outside. You know, we're focusing on us and then you get there and it's just mayhem from what I've heard. Obviously, mm. I've been. We're definitely just going purely on that. We're going for a gold medal. That's what we're here for. Uh, as well as we're trying not to get COVID while we're there. So <laughs> it's a bit of a double-edged thing of like we've got to stay in, inside our bubble and making sure we're doing everything right um, so that we can perform on the field because there is now that added risk of, you know, if you're not wearing your mask or you go to the wrong place or you do something wrong, there is that potential of um, missing out due to getting COVID. So how's the one-year delay worked for you? Has it worked for you or against you? Uh, personally, it's worked very well for me. In March last year, I tore the ligaments in my ankle and it was going to be very touch and go whether I was going to be back and fully fit in time for um, the Olympics in 2020. So not only did that give me time to recover, um, it also gave me time just to improve on some things and an extra year to train and get better and that sort of thing. So it's not often you get an extra year to prepare for an Olympics. Um, I'm still thinking, oh, am I quite ready? But yeah, that extra year has been really good, not only for me, but for the team as well, because we do have quite a young team. And have you been vaccinated yet? Yep, fully vaccinated. I had the Pfizer um, a couple of months ago. So um, mm. whole Australia, or I think over 90% of the Australian Olympic team has been vaccinated. So that's a real positive for us going into it. Tell us a bit about the backstory for you getting to this point. You're obviously in a sport that doesn't have the sponsorship deals that some of the other sports do, say for the tennis stars. How hard have you worked to get here? I read that you even work at Bunnings. Uh, yeah, I used to work at Bunnings. Um, that was just kind of a part-time job. I loved it. It was one of the best jobs I've ever worked. <laughs> As hockey players, we're basically full-time athletes, so we train six days a week. However, as you said, not as high profile as the tennis stars. We don't get paid like the tennis stars either. So <laughs> a lot of us have to work part-time to be able to support and live. Um, the allowance that we get from Hockey Australia and from Sport Australia who support and fund us um, is enough to survive on. Key word there is survive. It's not live and buy a home and enjoy what you do. It's um, very much so. And a lot of us actually enjoy the ability that, to be able to go and work and have a career past hockey because it's not going to set us – our hockey career isn't going to set us up financially for life but I also think it's a good thing that a lot of us go out and get work because it's setting us up for later in life. So Renee what do you imagine when you lie there at night dreaming of the the ultimate scenario playing out at the Olympics what sort of scene do you do you imagine and how does it feel? It's something you kind of dream about as a little kid growing up and it's something I've probably got caught up in thinking and to be honest I'm actually finding it really hard not to imagine but like I'm really sitting there going, wow, like this, this could actually happen. And it's just like a euphoria of like everything that you've worked for for the past, not just for the last four years in this Olympic cycle, but in your entire sporting and athlete career leading up to this moment. The Olympics is the pinnacle and I don't think I'm actually even able to imagine what it would be like because it's been such a long journey. I think all that excitement and everything that kind of that journey will just hit me in a massive wave of emotion. Um, I'm not a big crier, but I had this feeling that if we win gold, I'll probably just sit on the field and cry because it's just been such a long journey and such a big deal for so long to um, finally succeed would just be um, one of the most incredible things I imagine I would ever experience. 
That's a beautiful thought. I'm almost tearing up just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, it's got me very excited, that's for sure. That was Renee Taylor, and her first game with Hockey Roos will be on Sunday against Spain, so look out for that one. Uh, Natalie Diem is the freestyle BMX rider who was about to give up competing at the elite level until she found out that freestyle BMX had become an Olympic sport for the first time. Natalia, thanks for joining us. Um, This whole journey started for you in your local skate park. Well, it was a long journey. So I've been going to the skate park since I was eight years old. So little old me, and that was so young, mum and dad had to come and watch me at the skate park because I wasn't allowed there by myself. And then I've had injuries and four, four knee surgeries and you know, I'm 18 years old at this time and I'm like, oh man, you know, I'm 18 years old. I've had four knee surgeries. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it up. So I was riding as a hobby, still working full time. And then the Olympics came about and I was like, oh, you know, if it's going to be any time, it's going to be now. So I really just pushed hard and I'm so grateful to have made it. So you would have given up riding at the elite level if it wasn't for BMX being included in this year's Olympics? Yeah, for sure. It just, to me, the risk wasn't worth it. I was now out of work and not getting money because I was hurt from just doing a hobby on the weekend. So it definitely wasn't worth it at that point. Okay. So once you found out BMX would be in the Olympics, what did you do from there? You completely refocused your efforts? I moved back to my small hometown of Gladstone and worked there to be able to save the money to compete internationally and yeah, just, just worked hard. So there was a lot of sacrifices and a lot of stuff my family had to help me with, especially financially, just to get me to compete to earn the points to go. I'm grateful to have a great supportive um, family. So you then started traveling the world, competing in these big competitions. What was it like to find out that, you know, on the basis of that, you would end up representing Australia at the Tokyo Games? incredible feeling. I don't even know how to put it into words still. And it's, it's so special to be able to go and be one of the first to compete in BMX freestyle in the Olympics and, and not just for, for Australia, just the whole world. It's insane. And to think it's going to go down in history and I was one of those people blows my mind. <laughs> I guess you're not just representing Australia, are you? You're representing your, your sport. Yeah, and I think that's the most exciting part for me, especially in the female division, because there's not a lot of girls that do it, especially in Australia, to be able to showcase what we can do and and represent the sport itself is amazing. So how does your event work and how is it scored? So it's scored based off the judges. So the judges go by speed, height, difficulty of tricks, how well you execute them and, and doing the full 60 seconds. So we have two one-minute runs and you get to do whatever you want in your run and and use the course however you like. So yeah, freestyle BMX. Wow. So this whole dream is going to hinge on two minutes. Yes. And every time I think about it, uh, I get so nervous and have butterflies because it's like all your hard life's work comes down to two minutes and you just have to believe in yourself and trust in that you'll be able to stay on the bike for one minute in your run. (laughs) And do you actually worry about getting COVID or do you think they'll have it under control? I think they'll have it under control. It's it's pretty strict of what we can and can't do and we'll have COVID tests daily. So I'm not worried about COVID at all. What's the big trick we should be looking out for in your run? The big trick... Hmm. Well, I did think of doing a front flip. I've been practicing them and I have done them before. I think it just comes down to the moment. If the course feels good and, and it's the right jump for me, then I'll try it. But if not, then 
you know, it's important to stay on the bike and do what you know you can do well. But definitely look out for the front flip. Fingers crossed I can get that one done. So is that a lot harder than a back flip? Because in a lot of sports, people do back flips fairly regularly. Yeah, so it is. So it's crazy. So when you're coming up the ramp, you kind of have to pull back to push forward to get the momentum to, to do the whole front flip in, in a nice, easy rotation to land back onto your wheels. Because if you, if you miss that pull back to go forward then more than likely you're just going to land on your back and that's not fun ever. <laughs> <laughs> Natalia Diem, and you can see her on the half pipe next Saturday doing her thing. It's just amazing to hear the stories of athletes like uh, Renee and Natalia and to realise that so many of them are amateurs, that they you know have to have jobs on the side to support their sporting careers. So unlike some of our elite footy, cricket or tennis players who are often paid quite well, these people are putting everything, including their own money, into their sporting pursuits. And I think that's what makes Olympic glory even sweeter. So can't wait to watch them and all of our athletes getting on the track, the field, into the pool, the half pipe, and hopefully the podium. All right, that's it for the weekday briefing. But of course, we have the weekend briefing with Jamila. Hey, Jamila, who have you got this week? I have recorded a super fun chat with comedian Nazim Hussein. As soon as you start talking to Nazim, you realise that he is such a pro at what he does because being hysterical just seems to come naturally to him. He's such a storyteller and loves going off on tangents that have you in giggles in no time. I think if you're looking for something a little light during this period when most of the country's locked down, this is the episode for you. That does sound kind of ideal. Love Nazim Hussein, a fascinating, smart and very funny, hysterical dude. Um, thank you, Jamila. And thank you so much for listening. Um, don't forget to jump on the briefing Instagram quiz today. If you're a good listener, you'll nail it. Absolutely. Promise you it's easier than the good weekend quiz. <laughs> um, a big shout out to our hardworking team, um, executive producer Dan Mullins, Liam Kennedy, producer and Brooke Loudner, uh, Matt Cuz Curry and Emily Lodge, who does our socials. Listener.